Good evening. Welcome to nighttime. Thanks for choosing to spend a half hour in thought. I pray that God allows me to say some things that would drive you to thought in Him and in His Word. And as you wrap up the day, that you're able to put your thoughts where they belong so that tomorrow, regardless of what happens, is a great day. Because the Lord will have made it and either you're in tune with Him and His purposes or you're not. And if you're not in tune with Him, tomorrow's not going to be a good day. Some wonder that how a program like Nighttime continues to operate and that we offer it to you for free. The truth is that it does cost some resources. And we're looking for someone that would sponsor what we do, but we really don't want to go out there and just raise money and have anybody actually think that we're doing this because of the resources that we might gain from them. It's a hard balance sometimes because you're trying to do something that God would use and we trust in God and we also need to make the needs known of the resources that are necessary to continue the work. If you know anything about radio studios or electronic equipment and even salaries to make sure things are done the way that they should be done, you realize there are some expenses. If this program's a benefit to you, then we encourage you to go and to be a part of those who help us financially stay afloat at Relate365.com. Or even, you can go and find a business that, or an individual that says, I want to sponsor what you do so that it stays free for people. Of course, we don't have any plans on charging anyway. And our trust is always in God. I've let the need be known. If you've been with us the past few nights, I've been talking about a book that was written called Beyond the Deception. I really wrote it to help young people understand how to look at Scripture and wrestle with the passage and then wrestle with it themselves. This book is available on that website and it's got 21 different chapters to it. And each chapter has one thought. I called them a puzzle piece. And at the end we'd have 21 little pieces that would fit together and form a picture they really come from the book of Jude and 2nd Peter. And if you read those two books, and of course I encourage you to, they're very similar. They warn us about false teachers. They warn us about the dangers of being deceived and what that can do to both life and nation and our future. The scariest part about deception is always the fact that it's 
not something we choose necessarily. Because if we knew we were being lied to or deceived, we would change what we think. But we don't. Deceptions and lies of Satan are so cleverly wrapped that they look like gifts. Gifts that we're anxious to open and look at when we get them, but when we actually possess them, they destroy. It's very important that all of us have a way to evaluate what we believe in because belief is not the criterion for truth. We need to believe the truth. We don't create the truth by believing. The scriptures are the way to do that. The seventh thought in the book starts with a quote that says, I have a choice to be one with one who unifies or one who divides. I'm going to unify people or I'm going to divide them. This is hard to think about in a way because we don't understand what unity actually means. Unity doesn't really mean that you and I agree on something. You can be if you're a football fan, a Chicago Bears fan, and I can be a Green Bay Packer fan, and we may never agree on that. That's not really what unity is. The body is what we give as an example for unity, and the body has a lot of parts, but each part is subject to the brain and moves in unison to the brain and its commands. Jude 1, 19th verse in the New Living Translation says, These people are ones who are creating divisions among you, the false teachers. That is, that's my thought, not the scriptures. They follow their natural instincts because they do not have God's Spirit in them. Those who cause divisions are those whom Satan is using to maximize his efforts. In fact, in many cases, there are so many divisions in the body of Christ that we cannot even recognize the body. One of the unique features of Christianity is unity and diversity. What we have really turned that into is unity and non-diversity, which isn't really anything special at all. For example, if I surround myself with people who think like me, act like me, and have the same desires as me, and then talk of how unified we are, I am talking of no great or unusual thing. If, however, I can describe a unity that comes from those around me of different thoughts, different ideas, and personalities, that's quite an achievement. I think there there are far too many churches in the world. We tend to create new churches and fill them with like-minded people and then brag of our unity, when in reality it's disunity that has caused our church to exist in the first place. Within the church, there's always a structure. 
With a new emphasis on self, our churches have become increasingly democratic in style, leading to endless discussions and opportunities to divide. Majority rule has become the litmus test for the will of God, and politics is overrun true leadership. What we have is churches that, if they're not divided today, will be tomorrow. For the system promotes division instead of unity. It is not as if a church is being divided over doctrinal issues. Instead, the church is being divided over petty matters like the use or kind of music, the budget, how so-and-so was treated, whether the pastor is pastoral enough, and so on and so forth. The bottom line throughout Scripture remains that those who are willing to divide the true body are not of God. This does not mean that we do not hold to true doctrine, for indeed we must. But if the church is divided because of a stand on what is right, so be it. That is God's problem, and He is capable of dealing with it. If we are divided based on anything else, then we must be ready to answer to God for using whatever power and influence that we have to destroy rather than build up. When I was much younger in ministry, my wise father told me that I should make sure I know what the basics of our faith really are. That is the foundation of our faith and never move from what's right. He also told me that I must be able to differentiate what is foundational truth from what are methods that might be used to convey this truth. He told me to cling tenaciously to the foundational truth, but to constantly challenge the methods. This has been most valuable advice. Are you a uniter or a divider? Do you know what is worth fighting for and what should be challenged? Are you living in truth or are you being deceived? The piece of the truth puzzle for our seventh thought in this series is this. Unity and diversity is a miracle. That's why it is a Christian characteristic. It is amazing sometimes how we think. The English language is the language I think in. And when I read the scriptures and it just says that we need to be unified, I can see how it comes across in my head. I'm thankful that God gave us the body illustration so that we can understand what unity really is. It's really a bunch of very unique parts that really function differently. But they all have that unfettered access to the brain and they move immediately. I remember once I was um, trying to explain this to young people. As I was doing it, I was using my hands while I talked, and my eyes were 
moving in a certain way. And I thought, you know what? Every part of my body is just going with my words right now. That's why it's so valuable to communicate face-to-face sometimes because you can see and hear what the person is saying and it's much more communicative at that point. See, my hands were not distracting. They weren't just going around doing things distracting you. They actually went with the words so that as you watched my entire body present something to you, my feet and ankles and knees and arms and fingers and toes, they all went together and they all made the same point. It's pretty amazing when you really think about it because I wasn't really thinking about doing all that. My brain did that automatically and kept all of the other body parts in line with what was being said. When I finished talking, nobody came up to me and said, I really appreciate how your elbow acted during your speech. Nobody came up and complimented my knuckles, my kneecap, or my ankle. Nobody was overly enamored by my eyebrows and how they moved. But I do know this, that every part of my body moved with my words. Therefore, they did not bring attention to themselves, but brought attention to the message that was going out of my mouth. Unity is not just simply agreeing with somebody. Unity is diversity in tune with the brain. If you're in a place that is defining unity as just agreeing, then you're never going to find it and it's always going to bring strife. the eighth day in the Beyond the Deception book. We start with a quote that says, we are made to be in the world, yet not to have the world in us. That's a quote that I think everybody would agree in that is a Christian. But how you play that out would be interesting. In Jude, 20th to the 23rd verse in the New Living Translation, it says, But you, dear friends, must build each other up in your most holy faith. Pray in the power of the Holy Spirit. And await the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will bring you to eternal life. In this way, you will keep yourself safe in God's love. And you must show mercy to those whose faith is wavering. Rescue others by snatching them from the flames of judgment. Show mercy to still others, but do so with great caution, hating the sins that contaminate their lives. It's an interesting line, hating the sins that contaminate their lives. Jude finally gives me something to focus on that will be helpful and ensure that I am not counted among the false teachers. I am to focus on building up others' faith. 
I am to be the one who obeys God and thereby unleashes the power of the Holy Spirit. I need to anticipate God's eventual mercy toward me while I demonstrate His mercy to others. I need to live in such a way that other people are led to the King while at the same time not being contaminated by the lives they lead. It is easier said than done. When you see a ship in dry dock, you know there's a problem. A ship was not meant to be in dry dock. They were meant to be in water. In fact, great efforts are made to ensure that a ship can stay in the water by making sure that the water surrounding the ship has no way to get into it. Those who are true Christians were made by God to be in this world, but they were not made to allow the world into them. We are to be people who immerse ourselves in a pagan culture, while at the same time doing whatever it takes to maintain the seals that keep the water out of our hulls. Years ago, I had an old fishing boat that had numerous leaks. The boat was given to me to enjoy and the thought of spending hours on the lake fishing was splendid indeed. At first, the boat was magnificent. I did not mind the bailing because I was so thrilled to be able to fish. It did not take long though before this bailing routine started to get old. Boats are made to float. They are made to keep the water out, and when the water gets in, we spend our time bailing instead of sailing. Before long, I was looking for a way to get rid of the boat. The bailing got to me. I was discouraged, and I actually began to hate what I once enjoyed. Life is no different. God made us to be in the world to show the world who He is and to bring all men to repentance. Yet if we have slow leaks that allow the world into us, we need to deal with those leaks or face a future of discouragement and despair. For we will constantly be bailing our lives instead of sailing as God created us to. What seals in your life should be in place? What are you allowing into your life that is taking too much time or robbing you of the joy of sailing through life. God did not mean for you to spend your time bailing. He indeed wants you to be sailing. Hmm. Another piece of the truth puzzle here from the eighth thought in the series Beyond the Deception is this. I can spend my time trying to bail my life ship or I can enjoy the journey. For now, the choice is mine. I do remember years ago when I went and watched a yacht being created. I'd been speaking at a place and I love talking to those just informally that are in the crowd and 
One of the men that were in the crowd was a man who designed yachts for a living. I'm always fascinated when somebody's doing something that I have never heard of or even thought about. So I talked to him more about his design in yachts and asked if someday I could come and visit. I wanted to see what it was like for somebody to sit at a desk and have an idea, draw it out, and eventually push it out a door completely as a yacht. That's not my world, so I didn't understand how you do it. I still don't get all the details, but I went with my family and we watched them make yachts. We started in his office with the drawings on the wall. Then he took us out onto the floor, where the ideas started to become reality. I would suggest to you that yachts have many, many steps in the process from the time they're drawn on a piece of paper to the time they're pushed out the door. Just like our lives. But I was totally fascinated by the very first step where they were working on the hull or the bottom piece of the yacht, if I have that terminology right. They had it inside out and they were doing a layer of fiberglass. So they, they were working actually on the inside of the hull. And they would paint this fiberglass on and they would let the fiberglass harden. And after it hardened, they went over it with these black lights. And everywhere there was even a slight air bubble, it showed up white. And they took a black marker and they circled every flaw in that first layer of fiberglass. Then they had people come and they ground out the fiberglass in those spots that were circled, ground them out completely. There was nothing there anymore and they refiberglassed those spots. You got it. Then the light treatment again. And until there were absolutely zero spots left on that first layer, they didn't move to the second. Now I can't remember how many layers they put down on this yacht, but it was several. Each layer had to be exposed to the light. It's interesting, I was told as I questioned about this detail, how important it was that there were zero air bubbles because every air bubble would make it to the surface and allow a leak. And it was kind of obvious that we understood that yachts were supposed to be in the water, but the water not in the yacht. That's not how they're designed. It's pretty interesting. I couldn't help but think of my life and the same thing. There are little air bubbles that probably need to be exposed, and they need to be exposed by the truth of God's Word. It is God's Word and His truth. that is like that black light. And all of a sudden, when I see those little air bubbles, I need to not just acknowledge them, I need to grind them out. 
oh, you know what? You could just keep going and leave those air bubbles and they'll be trapped inside. You're not really going to see them. And so when you present that brand new yacht to somebody, it will look like a fantastic piece of craftsmanship. But because you cheated and because you did not get rid of the little air bubbles, one day they're going to treat that yacht like my fishing boat. That yacht, they'll have to concentrate on bailing it. And that's not why they bought it. It was interesting as I talked to the designer of the yachts, he would show me different characteristics as they put them together. And he said, actually, yes, these yachts are made to be in the water. And if you have them in a dry dock, that means there's been a problem that has to be corrected. And there are times where we certainly need to have things corrected and possibly our lives are in dry dock. I understand that. But he said the goal really was to not not only not let the water in, but to minimize contact with the water when they were traveling. I found that interesting. He said, yeah, the, the more contact they had with the water, the more energy was consumed to try and go where they were going. So in order to use less energy and still get where they're going, they needed to have the yachts lift and just skim the water if possible when they were traveling. He showed me the design at the, on the bottom that allowed the yacht, when they put the thrust of the engines on, to lift just enough out of the water. You... You need to have enough in the water, but you don't want to have too much in the water. It seems like everywhere I went in the construction and thought process of these yachts paralleled our lives. I can see that when I put myself in the world and I immerse myself in the world that it takes a lot more spiritual energy to go anywhere. Frankly, it's tiring to hear those who are Christians and love God say how weary they are of the of the life that they live. It, it sounds like they're so in the water that they're tired all the time because of the resources they need to push through it. There's answers to this. We can be people who minimize our contact with the water while realizing that we're still made to be in it. Those Christians who call themselves Christians who get out of the water completely and just sit on dry dock thinking that's a good idea, it isn't a good idea. You weren't meant to do that it is true that you may never ever suffer a leak. I understand that. But you weren't meant to do that. You were meant to be in the water, but have no leaks. You were meant to be in the water, but have minimal contact as you move through the water. 
And if you do it another way, you're going to be sorry that you did that. Many of us are very tired in life, like I was tired with that fishing boat. We're tired because we're bailing instead of sailing. And we look around and we see other people who are sailing and we're jealous because they're enjoying their life. Then we start to talk about how tough it is to be a Christian and how tough it is to be married and have a good marriage and tough and tough and tough and tough. And the whole time we're so deep in the water and the water is pushing against us in every direction and pushing against us hard and we keep trying to go forward, frustrated. There's a balance there. It's not letting the water in. It's minimizing the water contact. It's not getting out of the water. It's minimizing the water contact. It's making sure there are no leaks. Thank you for joining me on Nighttime again tonight. I hope it's been a time of good thought and reflection. You can find more at Relate365.com which is a division of Silver Birch Ranch and the Nicolay Bible Institute. Remember, we're looking for those who might help us keep this free to those who go to the site. You can contact us at the site, relate365.com. Good night.